and welcome to the Weekly Skeptic episode 4. I'm Nick Dixon. Later I'll be joined, as usual, by our editor, Will Jones, for the week's top stories. But for now, I'm joined by our founder, Mr. Toby Young. And I believe we have some breaking news, at the time of recording at least, about Rupert Hook, the Labour MP, who has said that Kwasi Kwarteng is superficially a black man, but only superficially. And if, if you heard him on the Today programme, you wouldn't know he's black. And I tweeted that Labour is superficially a credible political party. But she is actually your MP, Toby, you've just told me. She is my MP, yeah. Um, And when I was cancelled in 2018, some people attempted to defend me by pointing out that I had set up uh, four schools um, in the local area. And, um, you know, three were outstanding. One was Ofsted Good. And um, and she she joined the pile on and said, uh, no, it's quite wrong to think these schools are any good. He's gone through a succession of head teachers at, at his secondary school. It's a bit of a basket case and was unbelievably rude and um, uh, about me. Um, um, so I don't have much sympathy for her. But I, I wonder, Nick, do you think that what she said is racist? That that's the charge that's immediately been laid at her feet, mainly by conservatives and she has now been suspended from the party i think she was a front bench home office spokesman um or home affairs spokesperson for the labor party um now we're always i think um you know um we always call out false accusations of racism on the other side um uh do we do we want to relax our standards because um she's not one of us i mean i mean (laughs) politically (laughs) It's a good question. It's a useful term, as you've implied there, to use against them. It's kind of like when the when the trans stuff gets called misogynist. And I always think, well, it's not misogynist. I don't see, but it, but I understand why gender critical feminists might, well, they think it is misogynist. And other mm. people throw that term around because men are the most hated thing in the world. So you just say something's misogynist and it's bad. But actually, mm. I don't think uh, trans mm. people appearing in women's changing rooms has anything to do with misogyny. But it's similar with this. You can say racist because that's the left term they always want to use. I suppose one could argue it's the so-called bigotry of low expectations. She's basically saying this guy is black, so he shouldn't speak well on the radio. She, she thinks she should be doing like a drill rap song. So it is that kind of racism. She's saying he speaks well, therefore you wouldn't even know he's black. Really, she's saying black people can't speak well. They can't aspire. It's odd, isn't it? I mean, you would typically think of someone racist for assuming that someone i mean it's sort of the opposite of 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 what of what's usually these sorts of comments that he usually describes as racist she's not she's not saying she's not sort of a let me get me get this straight so you know she's saying that um if if you're black you know you shouldn't sound educated or middle class so there's only one way to be black and there's only a certain set of views you're allowed to have if you're black and if you're a conservative then you're not really black you're not authentically black you're a kind of race traitor of some kind i mean it, it, it's 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 a slightly different charge to saying that um you know assuming that someone who is black and educated is going to behave badly because they're black i mean it's almost the opposite um of doing that um uh, you know that that would be a kind of more typical racist thing to say wouldn't it if someone is black then you expect them to kind of revert to some racist stereotype and that would be racist that expectation but here she is saying the fact that he's departed from that racist stereotype is somehow offensive to her so it's sort of like it's a weird kind of inverse kind of mirror racism isn't it which i suppose is what woke racism is 
Yeah, it's very similar to the Joe Biden, you ain't black. If you vote for Trump, you ain't black. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and Douglas Murray has talked about it. He, he loses his gay card. If you have the wrong views, yeah. normally it's your views. You have the wrong views. You lose your gay card or your black card. But in this case, it has that added thing of the, he speaks well. So he's, if you heard him, he could be white. So it's got that added element. But yeah, yeah. whether I think that is, I think that, so I think that could be called a kind of racism. And it's certainly the critical race theory side, isn't it? it, it it's certainly, it's this ridiculous thing. They do it with Kemi Baden, they do it with everyone. As soon as you have, yeah, I mean, we're saying the same thing really, but as soon as you have conservative views like, oh yeah, but they're just, they're puppets of the white man or whatever it is. Mm. I mean, it, it's sort of symptomatic, I think, of the identitarian left's kind of tenuous grasp of reality, isn't it? And their constant knee-jerk response whenever you know, their views run up against the shores of reality, which is to deny reality. So she's she, her unrealistic view um, is that all black people are left wing and victims. So, so when she's confronted with a black person who isn't left wing and doesn't behave like a victim, quasi Kartang, um, instead of thinking, ah, maybe my views about black people are wrong. She just says, he's not black, even though that's, <laughs> that's completely contradicts the evidence of what everyone can see in plain sight. It's a kind of reason within a world of unreason. It's a kind of logical step within a, well, therefore, you know, she's deduced he can't be black. So I suppose it's the ultimate deductive reasoning rather than inductive. Anyway, to get a bit <laughs> Anyway, I, I, fancy, I think but... uh, she certainly said a silly thing. And if I was Keir Starmer, I would be absolutely furious that, you know, this is his big moment. This is, he's he's making his big speech today. Labour is 17 points ahead in the polls for the first time, I think. Um, uh, since he became Labour leader, it looks as though he might actually become the next prime minister. So finally, people are going to listen to what he has to say. They're going to take him seriously for the first time in his political career. His big moment arrives and along comes Rupert Huck to mess it all up. I mean, it must be bloody infuriating that su- such are the perils of being leader of the Labour Party. Yes, and they constantly yeah, have these problems. I mean, they were, they were stood by the flag the other day and they were singing the national anthem and all these people were tweeting this is fascism. If you saw this in the past, you'd say this was a national front rally. It's like people standing by the flag, singing the anthem after our beloved queen has just died is fascism. It's like, okay, you're the stupidest people on earth. But yeah, well, on the Starmer point, she has now been suspended. So it looks like he has taken swift action. So, and I guess, I guess would, my question is for you, Toby. I mean, she's obviously been horrible to you. She said that the fact you've opened schools doesn't matter because you once tweeted about boobs. But the fact is, does... <laughs> Would you suspend her if you're Starmer, uh, or if you're you? Well, it, I suppose he's done it in in the hope of kind of drawing a line under the story, so he can kind of turn people's attention back to his big set piece speech. Um, you know, it's understandable. I mean, uh, one, one irony of this, I thought, Nick, is that Labour um, are constantly kind of petitioning the Conservatives to um, make the legal but harmful clauses in the online safety bill even more censorious. You know, here's an opportunity to um, cleanse social media of hatred. But what they don't realise is that the left, I think, would more often fall foul of you know the prohibition on promoting hate than than the right would these days. I mean, you know, yes, if it was applied fairly, indeed, um, yeah, that's true. Which it wouldn't be. Which it wouldn't be. Um, on all right. On other breaking news, is there any further breaking news? We broke the story last week. We don't think we got enough credit for this. We broke the story of your PayPal ban. Yes. Is there any um, further updates? Um, well, um, 
a group of uh, MPs and peers have written to Mel Stride, the chair of the Treasury Select Committee today, um, to urge him to investigate uh, PayPal and its decision to um, close the accounts of me and the Daily Skeptic and the Free Speech Union. And if he decides that um, he should, uh, the obvious thing for him to do would be to invite um, Dan Shulman, the CEO of PayPal, to come before the Treasury Select Committee. So if that happens, that would be absolutely glorious to see him being cross-examined by a lot of angry MPs about this censorious, high-handed treatment of the Free Speech Union and the Daily Skeptic. But, uh, you know, we can but dream. But but that, that, that is the latest development. Yeah, I mean, it's good, but you, you do wonder if it'll do anything. You picture those those weird sessions with Zuckerberg where he's sitting in front of Congress sort of saying nothing for four hours and we all know what's happening. Big tech runs the world. Governments don't really do anything now. They're, big tech is more powerful. But they just sort of sit there and give them a dressing down. I suppose they do have an influence. I've heard that the people, Democrats, basically pressure big tech into banning people. And obviously Trump got banned, so we can believe that. So, yeah, maybe they can do something. I'm, I'm a bit sceptical that they, they can. But at least it's generated quite a lot of noise. And we've had a lot of support. I'll just briefly say there's something really wrong about a big tech company that's not even from our country, coming in and having and trying to destroy the English tradition of free speech. You, you could go for a kind of almost cultural appropriation kind of argument. There's some sort of yeah. colonization going on. It, it is. It's, you know, this is what the decolonization movement should focus on. <laughs> you know, these, these California-based big tech companies trying to impose their values on, on, on the British people. Right. Um, yeah, and actually, just on that, Nick... Um, PayPal closing the accounts of its customers whose politics it disapproves of, which seems to be what's going on in my case, um, would be unlawful under the Equality Act. So it's unlawful to discriminate against people on the basis of their religious or political beliefs. And I think my political beliefs are sort of mainstream enough to be, not yours, but but mine are mainstream enough (laughs) to enjoy the protection (laughs) of the Equality Act. So, But the reason we can't um, bring a case for discrimination against PayPal is because it's PayPal Europe took the decision to cancel me, and they're headquartered in Luxembourg, so um, they're yeah. not within scope of the Equality Act. I mean, one thing I hope we can do is to um, persuade Parliament to pass a law um, to make this kind of thing much, much harder I- in future. And I think that, that I think that, that that's our only hope of protecting ourselves against these censorious woke corporations is going to be to legally rein them in if we can persuade our political masters to do that. Absolutely. And I just wrote down Luxembourg because I I was going to say that's the big flaw there, but you beat me to it. And the other exciting thing that happened in this, and I was really pleased to see this, was Jack D tweeted, I'm in the process of cancelling my PayPal account. Big tech companies that feel they can bully people for questioning mainstream groupthink don't deserve anyone's business. And I wasn't too surprised in the sense that Maybe I can say this. Jack was very nice to me following my mini cancellation in comedy, and I knew he was a good guy. I don't want to say he's got the same views as me or on my team, but I'm sure he doesn't. I'm sure he thinks women should vote and things like that. But you know, he's he's sort of he's come out here and and just made an obvious normal statement. But of course, people don't expect comedians to do this. They expect them to cower in fear of the woke mob. So it's actually quite significant that someone that big would, would and that famous would do this. And then inevitably, I'll just give you some of the replies, Toby, because they were absolutely amazing. Someone called Tony Pizza wrote, Jack D's gone fash, making a stand on behalf of Toby Young's fake free speech organization, which only defends far right cases. So 
completely insane. I can't remember what I tweeted about it. I said something about it. But when you're calling the, the free speech union this body that defends anyone, regardless of political persuasion, they're the fascist, whereas the big tech company shutting them down, they're just the groovy guys, presumably. Yeah, and it's certainly not true that we only defend right-wing people. We've defended Chris Williamson, Richard Dawkins. Um, you know, Most of the cases we take on these days are from left-wing gender-critical feminists being targeted for cancellation by you know outraged trans rights activists um so um yeah it's uh it's it, it, i've just read um well actually i haven't read it completely but i've just been reading andrew doyle's book the new puritans and um and he 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 kind of uh at one point he's he re- he recalls the words of humpty dumpty in alice through the looking glass where he says words mean whatever I want them to mean. And when people use words like fascism to describe the free speech union, you're in that kind of territory. And it's back to, you know, Rupert Huck deciding that Kwasi Kwarteng isn't black because um, he doesn't behave the way she expects black people to behave. Um, You know, it's uh, words now mean whatever the left want them to mean. That is the kind of insanity of the identitarian left. They're divorced from reality. Yeah, and Andrew's given me a, a wonderful signed copy of that book, and I will read it, but it is quite long. So it'll take it is me quite long. I, where do you think he finds the time to produce, you know, a 337-page book? I mean, you yeah. know, let's just think about it. He, he, he hosts um, Free Speech Nation on GB News. Um, he's the co-curator of Comedy Unleashed, which organises events roughly once a week. He, he does Titania McGrath on Twitter. He's a prolific freelance journalist. Um, you know, he's written two other books in the last year, it feels like. I mean, where does he find the time? Oh, to, uh, to quote Mission Impossible, Toby, relax. It's much worse worse than you think i mean he's also <laughs> the host of headliners he's also the executive producer on headliners and at gb news they have him doing virtually every other job as well but virtually runs he's, yeah he's more or less on 24 7 isn't he he's yeah like and he's, bigger he runs than stuff, he's running everything as well behind the scenes he also not everything i don't want to make him sound like the sort of gangster but he, he he's running stuff he he does so much i don't know i need to ask him how he does it i think it's just iq is so high they just maybe could just multitask. He's just writing a book while you know eating his dinner, doing ten other things. That's how I see him because it's frightening. I, yeah, I, I think it. I think that's it. I think he's just unbelievably talented and and uh, smart. Um, but um, I, 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 when reading the book, I thought, you know, isn't it great that you know we have such a kind of gifted commander, you know, leading us into battle in the culture war? But then I sort of thought, you know, when we win, which I'm sure we will eventually. I'll regret the fact that, you know, we'll go back to being on opposite sides because Andrew, you know, he's a Corbynista. He's um, he's virtually a communist politically. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, we're very much on opposite sides. Um, and I think one of the reasons he's kind of so incensed by these kind of authoritarian woke nutters is because for him being called a Nazi and a fascist, which he is routinely uh, by them, um, is really personal because, you know, he supported political correctness 1.0. He voted for Corbyn in the 2015 Labour leadership election. You know, he's an apostate. His tribe has turned on him. And so it's much more personal for him. And that's why I think he he has put all this energy into writing this very good, quite comprehensive book about this toxic movement. A couple of things just to not correct, but I don't believe he would be a Corbynista. He 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 moved away from Corbyn. He did originally vote for Corbyn, I think, or like Corbyn, but then he he moved away from that quite a while yeah. ago. But he is definitely a left liberal. There's no doubt about that. He, he's definitely a, a lib. 
But you, you do wonder though if if he's been so we don't want to speculate about our, our friend here, but he, he might have been he might have changed position now because he's been so attacked. I don't know, but but no, he is. But he is still fundamentally definitely more of a lefty liberal. There's no doubt. I mean, so is, if, if, I'm not sure we'll be on totally different sides. I think we'll we'll yeah. for a long time we'll still broadly be in the same weird camp. But I know what you yeah. mean. He won't yeah. be. As, I mean, I, I, I sort of think that you know at the moment there's something quite there's something there's something rather pleasant about all these former political opponents kind of jumping into the foxhole with you and standing shoulder to shoulder against these kind of authoritarian wokesters. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's almost, it's, it, it, and you feel like perhaps I'm not as, 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 as quite as toxic or as unwholesome as I was originally cast because all these Guardian readers are happy to stand side by side with me. But I sort of fear that when we prevail, in this battle they're all going to leave the it'll just be me and you left in there nick and all the all the nice guardian reading people um will have gone and they'll be on the other side again oh i think you'll disavow me as well but the the uh, you could <laughs> yeah, be right true. you could be right toby or it could just be that there is a realignment the terms right and left you know come from as you know from the french revolution and many people think they're they're outmoded anyway you know dominic cummings has pointed out the average british person uh, you know wants tough Im- on immigration but also wants an nhs so Maybe it's that we actually are just in this realignment and we won't come back together and this will be the new alignment. But, but you know, you could be yeah. right. When we do crush wokeness finally, we, we may all be dead, but maybe we'll, we'll realign suddenly <laughs> and Doyle will be an enemy again. Uh, that would be interesting. But um, speaking of fascism, and I was going to read a few more Jack D responses, but you can find them yourself. They're absolutely hilarious. But um, So I should just say, before we move on from Jack D, that um, Jack D, I'm going to be interviewing Jack D um, uh, f- at the, in, a, in a special members-only event for members of the Free Speech Union on October the 12th. So, you know, if if PayPal's attempt to cancel us wasn't sufficient reason to galvanise you into joining, then this surely is. Um, membership starts at um, £2.49 a month. I mean, it's dirt cheap. We're practically giving it away. And not only will we be in your corner when the outrage mob comes for you, which they inevitably will in the future, everyone will be cancelled for 15 minutes. But we organise a roster of great events. Uh, we've got a launch party for Andrew Doyle's book this evening. In addition to Jack D, I'm interviewing Neil Oliver. We've got a Christmas party coming up at Comedy Unleashed. And in addition, finally, we publish um, really useful FAQs. Um, so uh, on things like you know what to do if your boss says you've got to declare your preferred gender pronouns in your email signatures uh, for all work-related correspondence. We tell you what your rights are, what you can say to push back against that kind of outrageous demand. So please take this opportunity to join the Free Speech Union. Uh, you won't regret it. it, it it's w, I should say www.freespeechunion.org. Just click on join. That's www.freespeechunion.org. Click join. All right, brilliant. And speaking of the fascism of the Free Speech Union, there's fascism <laughs> in Italy. So we have a new leader in Italy, Giorgia Meloni, and this is very controversial because she is a centre-right, part of a centre-right coalition, which the Italian press calls centro-destro, but which the BBC call far-right, as well as the Guardian and the FT. And the big question is, is she really far-right or is she actually just centre-right, populist, pro-family, pro-GK Chesterton? What's your take, Toby? Yeah, she, um, I mean, clearly her political group um, has antecedents in um, Mussolini's 
fascist party. Um, but it seems like a fairly distant connection. Like, you know, someone once described the typical byline Times piece as six degrees of separation from Hitler, in which everyone, because some he knew him and she knew him and he once stood next to him and they once shared a platform with Hitler. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it does, you know, the, the attempt to cast her as a fascist feels a bit like one of those byline Times left-wing conspiracy pieces. Uh, and I don't think, you know, her positions aren't particularly far right. Uh, I'd say she's to the left of UKIP um, and probably could fit quite comfortably in Liz Truss's cabinet. Yes, we talked about it on Headliners last night. Me and Josh Howie had a bit of a back and forth and I pointed out a few things. Yeah, she they disavowed fascism strongly in 1995. Bit late, bit late, perhaps to the English ear. But, um, but, but in Italy, that, that probably is. That, that's, probably... that's normal in Italy, but they yeah. they still have two fascist parties, but they don't get anywhere in Italy now. Forza Nueva and um, Casa Pound, they don't really get anywhere. They've got the Salvini part of the coalition, which is more to the right, of course. But then they've got the Maloney part, which is the you know part that's dominating now, and it's centre right. We as on he- on headliners, Josh uh, Howie said, well, you know, she's anti-abortion, she's anti-same-sex marriage, and I said, but there's bad things as well, which was a sort of <laughs> classic Nick Dixon quip. But really, she's pro-civil unions for for gay people, so. Not particularly far right, is it? She's there asserting that I'm a Christian, I'm an Italian, I'm a mother. It's it's really popular no. stuff. And, and, she and, quote- and I, I, yeah, and, and sorry, I interrupted. No, no, I was just going to simply say that she quoted G.K. Chesterton with this brilliant quote. And I've read the whole passage and it's, it's an incredible defense of common sense reason. It's actually a defense of liberalism, patriotism and Christianity, if you read the whole thing. And he ends up by saying, fires will be kindled to testify that two and two make four. Swords will be drawn to prove that leaves are green in summer. And it's a part of a longer, brilliant piece you should read, A Defense of Orthodoxy, where he's just saying, you know, and, and isn't that so prescient that he's saying, we're now, you know, what is a woman? We're now at that point where, you know, two and two make four is, is controversial. And she quoted that. So I think she's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I saw on Twitter um, when people referred to the fact that she'd quoted Chesterton um, as a way of arguing that she can't be that right wing um, and is within the conservative mainstream. Uh, several people pointed out that Chesterton apparently wrote a book in praise of Mussolini in the 1930s. Um, I don't know whether that's true or not. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, and you know, for, 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 for some of my right wing friends like James Dellingpole, you know, she's not nearly right-wing enough. I mean, he thinks that she's a cuck because she's pro-NATO, she's pro-Ukraine in the conflict with Russia. Um, she doesn't want Italy to leave the EU. I mean, she's virtually Klaus Schwab um, as far as James <laughs> Dellingpole is concerned. Um, that's funny. I mean, because someone else said to me, yes, yeah, you know, she's still on board with the green stuff. So maybe you just reminded me I had a dream where I was talking to Klaus Schwab. Perhaps shouldn't admit that on air, but that's <laughs> quite disturbing. Just talking. <laughs> yeah, that's um, uh, we can go into that maybe next time if people request it. But um, it's uh, I actually got 12.2 thousand likes for a tweet, Toby, where I said, I don't know much about Maloney, but it's quite funny that a democratically elected leader is essentially being called fascist by the unelected German president of a European super state. And that was, of course, a reference to von der Leyen, who said there are tools yep. we have. We have tools. If, if things go like Hungary and Poland, we have little tools, meaning sort of. <laughs> Threats of sort of trade restrictions. Who knows what kind of tools they might employ? So really, what is the more threatening? The unelected leader of, you know, German, of the German, you know, EU saying that or this populist yeah. person who just wants the family and to read Chesterton books and the author yeah, of Mussolini 
yeah, it's it's <laughs> extraordinary how comfortable the kind of um, anti-fascist left are being being on the side of kind of um, the enemies of democracy. Um, you know, you'd think they'd want to at least kind of pretend that that they believe in democracy, but apparently not. We'll do one more quick story here about the BBC that caught my eye. Uh, they had this headline about the violence in Leicester, which I'm sure you've heard about. And it said, the surprising violence in multicultural Leicester, which is hilarious. It almost sounds like one of those clickbait articles. This one bit of multicultural violence will blow your mind or something. And then they went even further. And in the article itself, they put, after a largely peaceful protest. So they brought back the largely peaceful, it used to be mostly peaceful meme. We all remember it. The fi- fiery but mostly peaceful protest we remember from CNN. And the BBC just went full meme. What do you think to that one, Toby? Yeah, that was that was quite unself-aware of the BBC, wasn't it? It's, uh, <laughs> this, this was it the largely peaceful protest, in which literally against a backdrop of 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 you know of a full-blown race war on the streets of Leicester. <laughs> you know, if it had been if it had been whites v blacks, I don't think the BBC would have described it as mostly peaceful. But because it was two different ethnic minorities, um, you know, um, hammering it away at each other, then it was mostly peaceful. The picture of it is is just a gang of massive people in black hoods, police all all around them, someone on the floor. <laughs> After a largely peaceful protest, a few Muslim men tried to break through the police line. A few. They were coming in from other cities. They were recruiting for like an army. Yeah. People were descending on Leicester from all points of the compass in order to it was like a like football hooliganism of old, you know, an arranged fight which people travelled hundreds of miles to attend and participate in. I know the I think they they mean that the largely peaceful bit must be the five minutes at the start when everyone's shouting at each other before there's actually little <laughs> violence. I mean it started peaceful. Okay. You mean at home when they were planning it? <laughs> where, where was the peaceful? That bit? was peaceful. Yeah. Laughable. I know, it's bizarre. So let's quickly hear from our sponsor. If you have found the world a depressing and dystopian place in recent years, perhaps now is the time for a therapeutic laugh. The new COVID spoof, Busting Anti-Vax Myths, Seriously Expert Arguments for the COVID Deniers in Your Life is now available on Amazon. Its supposed author is the fictitious professor, Oshie McCamadorn, which I hope is the right pronunciation, which means Oshie son of stupid in the Irish language, a man who is a mix of all the worst COVID experts we've had to suffer in recent times. For him, the vaccine is definitely a vaccine because it self-identifies as one and it's vaccine-phobic to suggest otherwise. Sweden's no-lockdown approach was nothing other than the sad descent of a former liberal utopia into a far-right nightmare. And the Great Reset will leave us all utterly delirious with joy by 2030. Laughter is an excellent anecdote to tyranny, and this satire will put a smile back on even the most jaded face. To get your copy, head to Amazon now. Links will be in the show notes. And that is busting anti-vax myths, seriously expert arguments for the COVID deniers in your life. Go and buy it. All right, I'm here with Dr. Will Jones, the editor of The Daily Skeptic, and we're going to go through the week's top stories. So the uh, general secretary of the GMB trade union, Gary Smith, said the left needs to shake off its bourgeois environmentalism. Sounds like something I could agree with, Will. Yeah, this is um, quite an intervention on the left. The leader of the GMB, as you say, the GMB trade union, has intervened uh, quite decisively to say that the, the Labour Party needs to get rid of its bourgeois environmentalism that's that's standing in the way. He says that uh, climate change, uh, in his view, is is real. Um, but, um, but, and this is what he's really clear, we need energy, he says. We need energy. And this is just real down-to-earth, uh, straight down the line, 
uh, speaking from someone re- representing working people. And he says that we need to get fracking, we need to back nuclear, and we need to stop messing around with, uh, with this with environmentalism for uh, the middle class environmentalism. Um, so yeah, that's a great intervention. Uh, will the Labour Party listen? Oh uh, well, let's not let's not hold our breath. But that's uh, it was great great to hear more more of that, please. More please. And interesting story here: CO two has almost no effect on global temperature. I'm a layman, but that seems quite important. Yeah, incredibly important. This is a new paper from the uh, from a, a leading climate scientist, a meteorologist uh, who was once a head of um, Australia's National Climate Centre, a government agency called William Kinnanmonth, and uh, he's done a paper. Uh, he's retired now, um, and um, in his in his retirement, he's done a paper for the Global Warming Policy Foundation on a new way of looking at at uh, global warming and climate change and the role of CO2. And he basically says that, um, that CO2 is, uh, doesn't have enough of an effect on the, amount of, on the overall amount of heat radiation is reflected back from the atmosphere to the surface of the earth. Uh, and, that's, and that's because water vapour and water and the oceans and the water vapour in the, in the atmosphere it just completely dominates the greenhouse effect. It's such a more significant uh, greenhouse gas and it also overlaps in in the uh, the bits of, of light that it's radiation that it affects the wave wave bands they call it um, with co2 that it completely masks it so what controls the global temperature is is the movement of energy in the oceans and it's like you know how much heat and energy it takes to heat up a bath right or heat up to heat up a kettle or a pot of boiling water it takes absolutely ages right and that's uh, the same thing on, on the earth, on the planet earth the the oceans are such a huge amount of water that they completely dominate the the temperature of um, of the of the seas, obviously, um, and then the evaporation from the oceans into the atmosphere uh, dominates, and the movement of that the water vapor and the oceans, and therefore the energy in that to the Arctic and other parts of the globe uh, just just dominates the global temperature and the greenhouse effect. Uh, so really interesting, backed up with lots of uh, real world observations about what's actually going on, about the fact that the most of the global the arctic is warming faster than the rest of the globe but the antarctic's not really not really um are warming very much at all uh, so why is that and he explains that and it's all to do with this uh, with this overwhelming role for the oceans and water vapor uh, rather than co2 really fascinating but but will the ipcc listen uh, will it change anything uh, the paper was sent to the uh, the met office and others their comment and no comment was received so they are not even engaging uh, with these important observations. Okay, well, I was struggling with that story till you came up with the bath analogy. And I was like, finally, I can understand. Um, there was another interesting one here from a, a doctor who I've seen him a lot on Twitter and things. And he said that um, suspend all COVID-19 mRNA vaccines until side effects are fully investigated. Uh, do you want to explain this one, Will? Yeah, so this is uh, this is an, another major intervention. This is Dr. Asim Mahotra, a well-known and well-respected cardiologist uh, and a consultant, and he's uh, well-known on TV, and uh, and he even promoted the vaccines, the COVID vaccines, on television on Good Morning Britain, and he and he is one of the first people to get vaccinated in January 2021. So so he's, he was completely pro-vax and uh, in terms of pro-COVID vaccine, and he's uh, gone through a journey and and changed his mind. He's looked at the data. Um, I was at the his press conference that he held this morning in um, Westminster, and he explained that the unexpected 
death of his father from a cardiac arrest, a heart attack, when his father was very fit and healthy, and it was completely unexpected. And as a, as a cardiologist, um, he knows a thing or two about when it's to be expected and when it isn't. Um, and that led to, that was part of leading him down looking at the uh, the evidence and what's really going on. And he said that it just hadn't occurred to him. This is really interesting to get an insight because he's gone from one view to another. He said it just didn't occur to him. He said he said he was he was never he said he never thought that the vaccines would be that effective, especially at preventing infection or transmission. So he was always skeptical of that. But he said it just didn't occur to him that they might not be safe. Um, because he just didn't think that a vaccine could be unsafe. But of course, these are these use a novel technology. Um, they're genetic vaccines, mRNA or um, or another or adenovirus uh, vector vaccines. They're, so they're genetic vaccines, and so they, they work a different way. And he says that when he he looked into it, and there's lots of studies coming out now about these serious side effects. And uh, so he's presented all of that, and he's called for them to be uh, suspended until the serious side effects and all this data can be properly assessed and all the data from the trial uh, opened up to public scrutiny. Yeah, and he was clear. He said, we fully believe that vaccines are one of the great discoveries in medicine that has improved life expectancy dramatically. However, mRNA genetic vaccines are different as long-term safety evaluation is lacking but mandatory to ensure public safety. And that's the thing I feel like lots of people are taken in, especially the older generation, by thinking, well, these are and, and normal vaccines. And of course, they're not. And I was actually a bit disappointed when I found out this was this doctor because I'd seen him so much on Twitter and GB News and things. I thought, okay, he's already on our team. But actually, I didn't realize the thing you pointed out there, that he was on Good Morning Britain. He was a normie mainstream doctor and he just sort of woke up, so to speak, to use that language. That's right. Yeah. He's, so he's, he's been on a journey. So he's been saying more skeptical things um, over over the course of the last a year or so, really. Uh, but the disappointing thing, we were at the, the press conference today and, and nobody except GB News uh, came. It was a major press conference where he presented um, his findings and explained it all. And And the frustrating thing, Nick, is that is that the press are just not interested in publishing. This should be the scandal of uh, of the century, right? These that mm-hmm. these vaccines that have been imposed on everyone are just not as safe as we've been told by any stretch, um, and yet no mainstream outlet will touch the story. So it's very frustrating. Um, and um, I went on Neil Oliver's show on GB News this week to talk to him about about why that is and about the psychological barriers that have been erected. Um, in people's minds, in the public and in government agencies and um, and in the press and just throughout all of society, just the psychological barriers that have been put up to to being able to see and accept the reality about, uh, about what's been going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like it will be allowed in the mainstream at some point, but we don't know when. It'll be like the lab leak theory, the Wuhan lab. John Stewart will break it on the Stephen Colbert show and suddenly we'll all be able to talk about it, but only when the normies say. Staying with COVID, there was an interesting story. Is it time to accept that Omicron is not COVID-19? This argued that Omicron shouldn't be classed as COVID-19 branding. Yeah, fascinating article, this one from Dr. Uh, Randall Bock, a medic, um, who who wrote um, this for us. Um, And he looks at the Omicron and the fact that it's so different to uh, Delta and the virus that came before, that it didn't actually evolve from Delta or from Gamma or from Beta or from Alpha. In fact, you have to go all the way back to the ancestral strain to versions of the virus that are around 
uh, way back in the spring of 2020 to find its most recent common ancestor, so it, where it came from. So, so it's not linearly descended and it's got a huge number of mutations and the clinical manifestations of the symptoms have been up. The symptom list has been updated by the authorities, by the NHS and others uh, to say that it can no longer be distinguished from the common cold by symptoms alone. Um, so and he and he makes he points out that this is very significant because uh, if if it's symptomatically not distinguishable then it's then is it really a different disease um, you know we know that corona that coronaviruses are, are are one of the major causes of the common cold and the and and you know crucially the the fatality rate from uh, omicron is is way down there on a par with with flu. Yeah. So, and 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 his point is that are the authorities just continuing with the label, the branding, because the pandemic and the vaccines are all about uh, this branding. COVID nineteen. It's a COVID nineteen pandemic. They're COVID nineteen vaccines. If they said it, if they admitted it wasn't COVID nineteen, they'd have to admit the pandemic was over. They'd have to admit that the vaccines weren't appropriate. The vaccines aren't appropriate for for the new strains because, of course, they were they were tested on on long extinct strains. But uh, they'd have to really admit it. Really interesting article. Okay, and lastly, failed zero COVID policy cost Australia over $938 billion. Uh, Again, I'm a layman, but it sounds quite a lot. Yeah, right. Australian dollars. Yeah, nearly a trillion dollars for um, Australia, which is not a not a huge country. No, that's a lot of money to them. And so this uh, report has come out by academics who've um, who've calculated that when you add up the costs of the the interventions, uh, you know, the direct cost of government spending plus the the lot the damage to the economy, the damage to education, damage to employment, um, all the the damage to currency, um, all of that. When you and um, you know borrowing, all of that. Um, then the overall cost comes to a, a huge uh, 938 billion Australian dollars. So you know that's nearly a, that's nearly a trillion dollars. I mean that's just, that's just huge. And of course, and what did they get for that? They they got a failed zero COVID policy. They didn't extinguish the virus. It's not gone. They're having a huge wave, huge waves of COVID since then. Huge waves of excess death. It's true they haven't caught up with the rest of the world yet in terms of the total number of excess deaths. So maybe they will have a slightly lower um, overall rate, perhaps. I mean, we don't. Who knows what's going to happen? But they didn't. But they didn't avoid. Um, they didn't avoid COVID. And zero COVID was all about extinguishing it. So a huge waste of money. Okay, and I've just got some. Breaking news here, just an extra story we could just touch on, and that's that PayPal have restored the Daily Skeptic and the Free Speech Union's accounts. And I wasn't sure if we could talk about it, but Toby Young is now saying it will he's gonna break the story and that will be out within the hour at time of recording. So we won't we won't ruin the breaking story for certain publications, but maybe we can just touch on it and say what has happened? Because we did a podcast, we recorded the podcast earlier and, and and I was cynically saying maybe nothing will happen and Toby was saying hopefully something will, but something has actually happened. Brilliant. Yes, this is, this is excellent. The news came through um, about uh, about 45 minutes before, we, uh, before we've been recording this and um, it's... Um, and they and they and they've backed down. They've apologised for the inconvenience. Uh, they said they've reviewed it and listened to the feedback from all their stakeholders. Um, so a, a bit of a grovelling apology and um, admitting they got it wrong. But of course, the uh, the depressing thing, of course, is that they only restored it because such a fuss was made because MPs started getting involved and government ministers and and the press got involved. You know, people get their PayPal accounts blocked or closed all the time and and they're powerless to do anything about it so the tyranny um of this incipient social credit system is still is still there we've still got these woke corporations going around deciding 
who is and isn't a virtuous and worthy recipient of their of their services. Uh, so the problem is still there, uh, but it's great that uh, they've at least uh, backed down on the on this particular on this particular occasion. Yeah, it's huge. And I said when we first broke the story last week, I did say to Toby, "Do you think you'll be too big to cancel?" That that actually, much like talk radio, when it got straight back on YouTube, will you generate enough? heat from all your MPs that, you know, not his MPs, he doesn't own them, but you see what I mean? And I and he, he was skeptical that he would, but it seems like that has made a difference. But like you say, the obvious flip side to that is if you are a little person, if you're not Toby Young, you 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 will just get ignored. But I, I should thank everyone because I, I mean, I complained to PayPal. Everyone was shutting down their PayPal accounts. Jack yeah. D was doing it and it was massive. So I, thanks to everyone that shut down their accounts or that complained or that, you know, made a fuss in any way. So many people contacted us to say that they'd closed down their PayPal accounts. And, and, um, and of course, we, we closed down our, we all closed down our PayPal accounts as well, of course. So brilliant. Well, well done, everybody. You know, it's a, it's a real uh, team effort. But I think we still need the law, though. I don't, I don't know if PayPal are hoping that they'll, uh, the pressure for this new, this new law will go away uh, now. And I hope that the pressure doesn't go away because this is only highlighted that we need it just because they've decided to be nice uh, on this occasion. Um, there's the, the problem has now been exposed and, and needs to be dealt with. Yeah, absolutely. We still need reform. So go to dailyskeptic.org to check out any of the stories we talked about and more. And I'm sure there'll be one about PayPal coming up soon as well. But I, I quickly want to add that Infowars are now contacting you asking for if they can use our stories or your stories on the Daily Skeptic. So I, I can't wait till I see you on with Alex Jones on that sort of video call and him just grilling you. Will, Will Jones, tell us what's happening to freedom in the UK or something like that. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, they've uh, they've asked if they can uh, reprint Chris's story about the CO2 um, having little effect. So, yeah. All right. Well, we'll catch up with Will again next week. Then go to dailyskeptic.org for all those stories. Thanks a lot, Will. Thanks, Nick. All right. We're doing a new section today, which I'm calling Pros and Cons, working title, although it was Toby's idea, full disclosure. And this is where we assess the Conservative Party and decide whether what they've done is actually conservative or not. It's an occasional series, and I'm calling it pros and cons. And this week, I thought I'd suggest one pro was the mini-budget, where this actually was vaguely conservative. There was tax cuts and things like this, although I might argue against myself and say, was it actually conservative or was it just Thatcherite? And even then, just one aspect of Thatcher, the Friedmanite, free market aspect. Uh, but that's, that's one of my pros. Do you have a different pro, Toby, or do you want to comment on mine? Well, I think, you know, I think that's quite a good pro. I think that was a pretty robust and bold budget um, and seemed to seem to throw political caution to the wind um, and possibly even economic caution as well. Um, but I like the fact that, that they were bold and um, seemed to defy, you know, the conventional wisdom about what is and isn't politically possible. And I thought it was great that they just decided to cut the top rate of tax and to hell with you know, being hostage to something that Gordon Brown did in his last months in office precisely in order to hobble the Conservative Party. Um, so I was delighted that they, they finally slain that dragon. Um, but um, it remains to be seen whether <laughs> whether the pound will begin to recover. Um, so I thought one, one positive sign was that Liz Truss um, uh, welcomed um, the uh, election of Italy's first female prime minister, in spite of the Guardian branding her Mussolini in a dress. Um, that was another, I think, sign of, of her uh, her political boldness, her strength in ideology. 
Yeah, and that was going to be my other pro, and I have to agree. She wrote, congratulations to Georgia Maloney on her party success in the Italian elections. From supporting Ukraine to addressing global economic challenges, the UK and Italy are close allies. So it was actually quite bold, because if, if you're in a world where the BBC are calling her far right, as are the Financial Times, obviously the Guardian are, for then trust to actually put that congratulations tweet, I was actually quite surprised at that. So yeah, she's gone for it there. And I suppose we should also welcome the fact that... Um the fracking ban has been officially lifted. Um, so Jacob Rees-Mogg did that, I think, since we made our last podcast. Um, I was encouraged by that too. Um, okay. And that produced a predictable amount of hysteria as well from the Greenies. Um, but um, I, mean, I don't know if you noticed, but the that there was a lot of objections from people about endangered species of bats and newts suddenly being put in jeopardy because of, I don't know, the investment zones or the new tax-free zones that were created in the mini budget. I didn't quite get my head around why that's going to damage endangered species of bats and newts, but certainly that seemed to be there seems to be a burgeoning kind of resistance to the budget on that basis. You can't really do anything now without the newt resistance popping up, can you? You can't build a house or anything. <laughs> There's always someone talking about the newts. The, the, the amount of regulations that are on building anything new are unbelievable. I saw a list of them the other day. You'd never get anything made. My con, and it's confusing this section because, of course, the con is a bad thing, but the section is when they do conservative things, it's good. So it's a very confusingly named section. I might change it to cons and cons to make it less confusing. But my con would be that, uh, and GB News covered this, Liz Trust plans to loosen immigration rules in bid for growth. I'm like, loosen immigration? We had a million visas granted last year it's and it's saying here she's um she wants migrant workers to be given visas to come to the uk with labor shortages one of the main concerns voiced by employers it's like how much more who wants more immigration than this country? is there anyone that is asking for more immigration so that's the least conservative thing she could possibly do at this point yes um i, I don't have a con um <laughs> but but the reason i don't is because i'm um frantically lobbying the current government to um, amend a bill currently going through Parliament to make it unlawful for PayPal and companies like PayPal to kick people off their payment platforms because they disapprove of their politics. Um, So um, I don't want to risk antagonising anyone in the government by coming up with any cons this week. I'm going to wait and see how they respond to uh, this lobbying effort. You're too much part of the system to speak openly, Toby. It's all right. I'm here to say the reckless things. Um, So, all right, that was pros and cons. That's our new section. Let us know what you thought of that section, but only if it's positive. Um, (laughs) That's my stance. But let's do Peak Woke, our other section where we come up with the most woke thing of the week. This is not really a new Peak Woke, Toby, but I want to counter your Peak Woke from a previous week by briefly mentioning that the fake breast teacher in Canada, there was a Reddit going around that actually... This was all a ruse, and he was someone who was done for toxic masculinity in the workplace, so then came back and said, well, I'm a woman now, hark my breasts, you know. But I don't particularly believe this. This, I think this is just a Reddit rumor, but it would be huge if true would be a, a quote I could use. And also, I, I, I tweeted about it and called it 44 double D chess, which I thought was quite smart. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chess, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, che- well you know, 4D chess. So I'm like, well, this is double D, like like brass side chess. I don't know if people got it. Maybe it's too clever. If if um, we can have a short interlude now for an anecdote. I remember um, when I worked for a newspaper called the New York Press in New York in like 1999. 
this woman contacted me um, to say she was a huge fan of my writing and she would love to meet in person. And she was an aspiring writer herself. And she wrote a column for Chest Monthly. <laughs> and um, I thought, well, that sounds quite promising. <laughs> I never heard of Chest Monthly, but um, uh, sounds like, you know, a magazine I might enjoy. And um, so I, I agreed to go out on a date with her. And um, she and, and she sort of, you know, it was a blind date. So, and I was obviously looking for a columnist for Chest Monthly. Um, and this rather svelte uh, young woman um, approached me and said, are you Toby Young? And I said, yes, um, slightly irritably, because I was still looking for my Amazonian stalker. And, um, uh, and she said, I'm, and it turned out she was the, she was my fan. And, and I'd, I'd misunderstood. She actually wrote a column for a magazine called Chess Monthly. <laughs> and she was a chess nerd. <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't a very successful blind date. What could Chess Monthly really have been in your <laughs> I mind? I, I thought it was like, you know, a top shelf magazine. I see. Wow. <laughs> That's not a very good one. Who would read Chest Monthly? Maybe now like with chest busters. feeders being a thing. It was well ahead of its time. That's hilarious. Um, well, no, she wouldn't be in your list. Anyway, so that's true. Um, yeah, she wouldn't have looked twice at me if she really was a columnist for Chest Monthly. But... No, no, I think it's the other way around. We've talked about the hot girls you got. I'm saying she was not even in your no, I see. I see. You've gone yeah. out with all these hot actors. Really... Anyway, sorry. Um, so... Um... So uh, peak work for me, yeah, um, uh, yeah. I, 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 I rather do believe that that guy was trolling the libs. Um, is it trolling or trolling, by the way? Where well, I'm northern, so it's trolling, but I think it might be trolling for you. Anyway, so uh, it, because the the breasts were so large, it was as though he was, you know, taking the Mickey and wasn't really expecting to be taken seriously as a woman. Um, maybe, maybe it was a. It, well, I guess, I guess he can't himself break the fourth wall and reveal what's really going on because at the moment he's enjoying the full protection of the kind of woke diversity crats at his school because they think he's trans and who are they to kind of challenge his self-diagnosis um anyway um uh peak work for me um uh, my peak work this week is i don't know if you saw but sussex police um i think um investigated someone and possibly um, recorded a non-crime hate incident against their name because they had misgendered a convicted paedophile. Uh, so I think this 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 um, male sex offender um, who has a conviction um, uh, for paedophilia um, uh, identifies now as a woman, and someone misgendered him on social media, possibly Twitter. And Sussex police have reprimanded him and they've now tweeted several times about it, how misgendering is a form of hatred that they simply won't stand for in the county of Sussex. And it's as though um, in their eyes, in the eyes of the kind of the enlightened police force, now that they've been retrained by organisations like Mermaids and Gendered Intelligence and Stonewall, misgendering a trans person is a more heinous sin than paedophilia. Uh, um, which is quite something. Yes, I already already tweeted about it. It's that Ricky Gervais joke in reality, that one where he's talking about, you know, rape or whatever, and, he's, and it's like, no, her, and I can't remember the joke exactly, and I've ruined it, but it, it's where it's worse to, to misgender the person, you know, than the actual initial crime. I don't know if Sussex police have actually yes. done anything. They haven't, I don't know if they've actually got this person on misgendering as an actual, you know, crime or hate incident, but they have been replying, as you say, 
to all these people. Someone wrote that this is a man committing sexual offences against children, Sussex police. Please get your force in order. And they replied, hi, Sussex police do not tolerate any hateful comments toward their gender identity, regardless of crimes committed. This is irrelevant to the crime that has been committed and investigated. Not really irrelevant, is it, Sussex police? It's pretty highly relevant. So I thought it was absolutely disgusting. And their tweet is getting heavily ratioed into oblivion, which just proves people can't stand this stuff. But the police don't care anymore, especially Sussex police, because they think their job is to lecture people on how they should think. And they basically despise the people. Is that fair? Yeah, it's uh, but but they're on the right side of history, Nick. Right side you of know, history. Th- th- that's what they think. They think that in in you know in due course, everyone will think like them. Yeah, that is a good peak woke. Can I offer mine? My other one was not my peak woke. It was a rebuttal to your previous peak woke. This my real peak woke is a bit more lighthearted, and it's about the woman king. And I don't know if she's king of the women or a woman king of various genders or or both. I'm not sure how that works. But she's a woman king, and this is a movie that somehow got 99% on the audience score of Rotten Tomatoes. Now, we know the phenomenon where the critics give something 99% and the audience give it 1% because it's rubbish, woke garbage. And that's become a big thing now. And so to try and address this, I'm not making any allegations, but somehow the audience score was 99%. And a lot of the reviews were things like, I enjoyed this movie with its characters and plot line. You know, they were somewhat generic. So there was suspicion around the audience reviews on this movie just to give you an example the godfather has 98 percent, so the audience apparently like the woman king more than the godfather and there is some suspicion as to whether these reviews are genuine and it may be the death of the rotten tomatoes ratio whereby we can look at rotten tomatoes and find out what the reality is of whether the movie is actually good by going to the audience score because now the audience score is in question have you seen woman king toby I haven't seen Woman King, no. Um, but that's disappointing to, to if the audience score is being gamed because I've always regarded, you know, like you probably, the audience score is much more reliable than the critic score. Um, but maybe I'll have to abandon that metric now. Well, yeah, I mean, Godfather 98, Goodfellas 97, these absolute stone-cold <laughs> classics. But Woman King coming in at 94 for the, for the uh, reviewers, but 99 for the audience, unheard of. <laughs> Unheard. I mean, the only way that happens is if it's like a Christian movie and all the Christians have gone and gone, yeah, 99%. Unheard of. So, yes, that is my nomination for Peak Woke. All right, so we received a nice letter this week, and I'm going to read it right now. So it goes, Hi, Toby and Will. Firstly, I know you must get so many messages, so don't expect to reply. I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for keeping me sane over lockdown. Thank you for making me feel I'm not alone. I'm a 40-something male welcome to the club, who had no interest in politics before lockdown. I now watch Trigonometry and read Jordan Peterson and went to see him at Wembley recently. I love the podcast and think Nick Dixon is great and would love to see him at stand-up. For me, the stand-up part of the letter. I'm a very moderate centre, probably right, but on some things left. I cancelled PayPal today. Worried but cautiously optimistic. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Aaron. And thank you, Aaron, for that. That was brilliant. I love the bit about how I was great. Also, nice reference to Trigonometry, a podcast some would say I had a hand in inventing, but I don't have my lawyers present. And I have done an episode of that if you want to watch that about me getting cancelled in comedy. But just thank you for your letters because it's very encouraging for us because it's a new podcast, so we don't know if you actually like it. And I think it's key that they said it makes them feel not alone because I think a lot of us feel alone in this struggle sometimes of being the outcast in society. Would you agree, Toby? Uh, yeah, I would. And that's a really nice letter. And it's lovely to get letters like that. It's um, It makes it all worthwhile. And the fact they cancelled PayPal was a win as well. Everyone that's great. Yeah, I love that. Great, solid. Thank you. 
Appreciate and, the solidarity, Aaron. And I also complained on PayPal, by the way. Good. Um, uh, so I just want to pick up on one thing, Nick. You mentioned your own cancellation. The first time you mentioned it, you were good enough to add the prefix mini. But I, <laughs> I, I you dropped that now. Um, <laughs> no, because I said from comedy this time. So it was in context. I put it in a small context of from comedy. So I think, I think you know, I think the cancelled is, is, is still quite a, an elite club um it's admittedly growing by the day um but i'm not you know i i lost five positions when i was cancelled in 2018 i feel like i am a deserving fully qualified member of the cancel club but i'm i did you really get cancelled what exactly happened to you here's a question for you toby who has lost more a king who loses his throne and his horses and so on or a beggar who loses his one piece of bread <laughs> i've just thought of that now but i the point is i had very little to lose i had almost nothing so of course i couldn't be cancelled on a grand scale because no one knew who i was but i got cancelled anyway just a, a beggar trampled into the dirt because i was there with nothing anyway no money no fame and yet jason manford and richard herring and all these people felt necessary to crush me into oblivion and tweet against me and i was called a bigot you're right i sh- I, I didn't add mini that time I love that you, you picked me up on that. I thought we had to say mini every time. My cancellation that wasn't as good as Toby's in any way. I mean, the thing is, the true thing I've done is I was I was on writing for Spiked, and then I was did a little bit on talk radio, and I basically only was only working with the people and comedy unleashed the people who were already I'd already made my decision. You know what I mean? I couldn't be cancelled because I'd already said I give up, I renounce the, any chance of getting on the BBC anyway by doing these other things. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks for your letters. Send them in by all means or those in. And that's my Northern Poor Education. And um, please go to dailyskeptic.org. We've got amazing articles on there. And of course, please donate. And Toby, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Um, I'd just like to add, please donate. Um, <laughs> we, we do depend on donations from well-wishers. Um, Nick's not cheap, no. believe it or not. Um, and we also have to pay the producer of this podcast. Um, the one ad we have, uh, which tests Nick's powers of name pronunciation each week, um, is not, I mean, generous though the sponsor is, it's not enough to cover the costs of producing this podcast. Um, Will Jones is now full-time um, employed by The Daily Skeptic. I do a couple of days a week on it. We've got other people, Noah Carl, Chris Morrison working on it. So um, please do donate because that's what keeps it going. However small amount you can afford, everything helps. So, and, and thank you very much to all those people who have donated already. It means an awful lot. And what are we doing in lieu of PayPal? We've, we've expunged them from our site. So um, we're now using Stripe and there are other alternatives as well. Uh, and we hope, we hope Stripe doesn't go the same way as PayPal. I don't think they will. They seem pretty reliable. Okay, and of course, you can follow me at Nick Dixon Comic on Twitter and at Toadmeister for Toby. And you can also, oh, please like this podcast, subscribe to it, share it, tell a friend, etc. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>